If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This morning we are studying about the Lord's Supper. Before we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're going to study about it and learn about it. Uh, what it means, what it's there for, why do we observe the Lord's Supper. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26 if you don't have your Bible with you, you can turn in the Pew Bible there. And that's page 901 in the Pew Bible. 901 in the Pew Bible. Now, in life, we have certain symbols in our lives that remind us of some very wonderful things. For instance, uh, this ring right here. Uh, this is a ring I wear every day. I put it on every morning when I get up and, and get started, get ready for work. I put this ring on my finger. And this ring is a symbol of the covenant that I made with Mary Beth 27, almost 27 years ago here, coming up uh, 26 and a half years ago, I guess. But uh, this was a symbol of that covenant that we made. It's a reminder, a constant reminder. Every time I, I look down at my finger, I'm reminded of that covenant that we made back so many years ago. Uh, it's also a witness to, a testimony to that covenant to other people. So when other people see this ring on my finger, they know, hey, he's married, right? He, he belongs to someone. He is in a covenantal relationship with a, another woman, so, or with a woman. So it's a reminder, a testimony to other people. Now, if I take this off, like I do when I'm working in the yard or working on my truck, I take it off and I, I leave it in the house, right? Because I don't want anything to get caught on my fingers. So I take it off and I leave it in. That doesn't change the covenant, does it? Not one bit. Not one bit. The covenant is still intact. This is only a reminder of that covenant. Well, in the church, we have a couple of different reminders of our covenant with Christ. But one of those is the Lord's Supper. As we observe that this morning, the Lord's Supper is a constant reminder of Christ's selfless sacrifice for the redemption of his church. Let me say that again. The Lord's Supper is a constant reminder of Christ's selfless sacrifice for the redemption of his church. It's a reminder of that covenant with Christ that was established in his blood. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to see how this, this observation, this ordinance of the church reminds us of Christ and his covenant with us. So I want us to, to see this covenantal relationship, these reminders in the Lord's Supper today. And we're going to look at, at four redemptive truths that are reminded or are communicated to us that we remember when we observe the Lord's Supper. So four redemptive truths that we see in the Lord's Supper, and hopefully we'll have those in mind as we take, partake of the Lord's Supper today. Now I want to remind you where we are in Corinth, in Corinthians. The church in Corinth had some problems, and Paul's working some of those problems out. He is addressing some of those problems in this letter to the church. Uh, there are some divisions in the church. We've already seen divisions over kind of the political views. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, and that's dividing the church. But there's also this kind of a, a socio-economical kind of division that's taking place 
in the church as well as we talked about last week and Paul is saying now it, it, it that's doesn't make sense in the light of redemption in the light of our covenant with Christ there should be no divisions and so he brings them to the Lord's Supper and how we're not to be divided in the Lord's Supper but the Lord's Supper we become united in the Lord's Supper it, it communicates our union with Christ and our union with one another so we're going to see that worked out in this text today so if you found your place there in 1st Corinthians chapter 11 please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word Hear the word of the Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So today as we, we look at this text and we parse it out here as we dig into it. We see that we celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance. He highlights that. This is a supper that's in remembrance. Now, the Catholic Church and, and other churches, they view this as a, a sacrament, like there's a, a salvation power in the Lord's Supper. And, and so they take partake of the Lord's Supper as a way of salvation, it's a, another means of salvation, not apart from, from grace, not apart from faith. They still say salvation by grace uh, through faith, but not alone. It, it's salvation by grace through faith plus some works, and this would be one of those works for taking of the Lord's Supper, but that's contrary to what we see in this text. And this was actually one of the very first, or the very first recording, the writing of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to Corinth before any of the four Gospels were written. And so Paul writes this, he received it from the other apostles, from Peter, from John, from the other apostles. And he wrote this, that's why he starts out there, I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you. So this was passed down to Paul, and now he is taking this to the Corinthians and he says this is in remembrance in remembrance of what Christ has done and so we as Baptists we don't call this a sacrament we call it an ordinance it's something that we do in remembrance to remind us of what Christ has done for us so we celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of first of all Christ's selfless sacrifice we celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ's selfless sacrifice. Look at what he says there, first of all. When the Lord Jesus, uh, the night, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
It's to remind us of the Lord's body which He gave for us. For those who are redeemed, for those who trust Him. It's to remind us of His body that was selflessly sacrificed for us. Now this is in the context of the Passover meal. That's what the disciples were celebrating when, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. The Passover was another supper of remembrance. It was a supper to remind the Israelites of God's deliverance from Egypt. And the first Passover meal, many of you will remember, the first Passover meal was held in Egypt. And it was the night that God sent down his final judgment on Egypt. So God had come to Egypt with Moses as his spokesman, and he said, let my people go so that they may serve me. And the Egyptians said, no way. They're our servants. They're our slaves. We're not going to let them go. Who are you to tell us to let the Egyptians go? So the Egyptians rebelled against God, and God sent down numerous judgments upon them. But the, the final judgment was the death of every firstborn throughout all of Egypt. And so that was God's judgment on Egypt for their rebellion against God. Now, it's not that the Israelites were without sin, right? The Israelites were just as sinful as the Egyptians. They deserved judgment just as the Egyptians deserved judgment. Because when it all started off, you know, they're like, oh yeah, let's go, let's go. But then when it got hard, they're like, they're coming to Moses and saying, what have you done? Why, why didn't you just leave us alone and just let us serve the Egyptians? Right? So even they rebelled against God in the midst of all of that. They deserved death just as much as the Egyptians did, but God provided them a way of escape through a sacrificial lamb. God said, take a lamb, slaughter the lamb, and spread the blood of the lamb on the, poor, poor, uh, on the doorpost of your houses. You see, that lamb stood as a substitute for the firstborn of the Israelites' houses. It, it was a substitute. It received the judgment of God in place of the Israelites. And so Jesus, our God instituted the Passover meal as a constant reminder. They did it every year as a constant reminder of what God did for them. He saved them from judgment through a sacrificial lamb. But even the Passover meal... It wasn't just pointing backwards. It was also pointing forward to the great sacrifice that would come, the, the lamb of sacrifice, the sacrifice that would redeem them from all of their sin. It was all pointing to Jesus. And so it was good and right on the night of the Passover that Jesus established the Passover or established the Lord's Supper. And so he took the bread of the supper and he broke it and he passed it out to his disciples and he said, this is my body. This is my body, which I'm giving for you. It was a selfless sacrifice. God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, he didn't have to come and save us. He didn't have to give his body for us. 
but he selflessly stepped off his throne in heaven and came to this earth. He walked this earth and did what we could never do. He lived in complete obedience to the Father's will. And though he was without sin, though he never did anything deserving death, he willingly sacrificed himself on Calvary's cross for our sins. Oh, what a selfless sacrifice he gave for us, that he made for us. As we take of the bread of the Lord's Supper, we're to remember that selfless sacrifice for us. Now, in the context of 1 Corinthians, this also reminds us, as we think about that selfless sacrifice, the context of Christ's selfless sacrifice, then it makes absolutely no sense that there would be divisions in the church, that there would be selfishness in the church. That's what's happening in Corinth, isn't it? People are selfish. They're selfish. They're doing their own thing. They're exhausting themselves above other people. And Paul is saying, remember Christ's selfless sacrifice. Knowing that your Lord and Savior selflessly gave himself for you, how could you dare set yourself against another Christian? You see, it's to remind us not only of his selfless sacrifice, but to remind us of, of the selflessness that he calls us to. We're to thank others more significant than ourselves. We're to put other people's needs before our own as we follow him in his life. So the Lord's Supper is to remind us to remind us of Christ's selfless sacrifice. And it's to remind us to selflessly serve one another. So we're reminded of the Lord's selfless sacrifice. Second, the Lord's Supper reminds us of the new covenant in Christ. It reminds us of the new covenant in Christ look there in the, the next verse there verse 25 in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me this cup is the new covenant in my blood now as he is saying this to his disciples his Jewish disciples there are a couple of things that are coming to their mind at this moment as he says this is the new covenant in my blood they're thinking about two different events at least two different events in the Old Testament first they're thinking about the the ratification of the old covenant in Exodus chapter 24 in Exodus chapter 24, God had brought the people out of, of Egypt. They're there at Sinai, Mount Sinai, and he ratifies the covenant, the old covenant. We call it the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant with the people of Israel. He, he gives them his laws, and, and he says, I will be your God. Now, this is coming in a context of grace. Remember that. It's coming in a context of grace. God's already saved them. 
Right? This, is not, this, this covenant is not a, 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 a part of their salvation. He's already saved them and delivered them out of slavery. Now in His grace, He's, he's giving them His law as a gift to them. And, and He's making, establishing a covenant with them. And He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And the people said, Amen, let it be. And so Moses stood up before the people, and with any covenant in the, the old days, in the ancient days, there was a sacrifice, right? Back, go back to Abrahamic sacrifice. When God made his covenant with Abraham, there was a sacrifice to seal and ratify the covenant. There was a sacrifice when Moses made the covenant with the people of Israel. He made a sacrifice. He took the blood of the sacrifice and he sprinkled it on the people. Now that, that sprinkling was a representative of, it represented two things. First of all, it sealed the covenant. It, it was a symbol of the sealing of that covenant. God sealed the covenant with them. I am your God. You will be my people. And whoever breaks this covenant, may they be torn asunder just like the sacrifice. So it was a, a seal of the covenant. But it also represented the cleansing of the people. It represented the cleansing of the people because God can't let sin go. God is a just God. He can't just simply look over sin and, oh, oh, you sinned? Oh, well, th let's just pretend like you didn't. God can't do that. He's a just God. He must demand that sin be paid for. There must be justice. He's a loving God and He is a just God. He demands justice. So a sacrifice has to be made. And so there again, the lamb is sacrificed to cleanse the people. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Someone has to pay for our sin. And so as the people, as the disciples See this. As, as Jesus pronounces, this is the new covenant and my blood, they remember that old covenant. The sealing of the covenant. The cleansing of the covenant. A second thing that they, they envision here as Jesus says this is the new covenant that's only pronounced once in the Old Testament and that is Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And I just want to read that for you. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor 
and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now here in this new covenant that God announces in Jeremiah, we see two elements. We see two elements. Now, it comes to greater light in the New Testament, of course, but we see these same two elements here. First, there is a sealing of the covenant. There is a sealing of the covenant. He says, I will write my law on their hearts. I will seal up my law on their hearts. Now, how did God do this? How does God do this today? By sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in. This is a new way. The Holy Spirit comes in and He indwells the believer. And the New Testament tells us that the, the, the Holy Spirit comes and writes the law of God on our hearts. You see, our old sinful hearts, our old hard hearts, we want to do our own thing. We want to be our own boss, our own king, our own God. We want to do our own thing. And we need someone to come in and change our wants, someone to come in and change our desires so that we want to obey God. If we don't have that, we'll just do our own thing. We'll continue living a life drowning in sin. But God sends His Holy Spirit to change our wants, to change our desires so that we no longer want to live in rebellion to God, but we want to live in obedience to His will. Though imperfect, right? We're not perfect, but we want to. We want to live in obedience to God. That's the Holy Spirit. He comes in and He seals the covenant and that's the seal. When we see that taking place in our lives, when we see our lives starting to change and we no longer want to live in obedience, when we, when we, when we, when we suffer over sin, right? we still sin, but when we sin, we suffer over it. God, how could I do that? Sin hurts. Because our desires have changed. Because the Spirit lives in us. He sealed us up in the covenant with Christ. And we want to live in obedience. Dear friend, if you have that feeling, if you have the Spirit living in you, testifying that you are a child of God, giving you that desire to live in obedience to the will of God, then that's a seal. That's evidence that you are in covenant with Christ. And if you can sin and think, oh well, God has to forgive me. So what? If that's your attitude, ooh, not much of a seal. Not much proof in that. If your attitude towards sin is flippant, the seal's not there. You don't know Jesus. You're not in covenant with Jesus. God says, I will write my law on their heart. You will want to live in obedience. And you suffer when you fail. Though God forgives you, and you know the joy of His forgiveness, yet your heart breaks. 
your heart breaks when you sin against God. We are sealed in this covenant of grace by the blood of Jesus Christ. But also notice there that second part of that covenant, that second part of the reminder there. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. There is a cleansing. There is a radical cleansing that takes place. You remember the old covenant? Moses sprinkled that blood on there, but guess what? Every year, every year, the priest still had to go back to the temple, go back to the tabernacle, and he had to give an atoning sacrifice every year, over and over and over and over again. He had to sacrifice for the sins of the people. But all of that was pointing to the one sacrifice who was to come, who would take care of sin once and for all. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Christ came, He died, He sacrificed His life, shed His blood to cleanse us once and for all. So that God can say, I remember their sins no more. Oh, isn't that great news? That even when we mess up, even when we fail big time, God says, I remember your sin no more. It's wiped clean. You're clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, remember the selfless sacrifice that Christ gave for you to cleanse you from your sins and call you into this covenant of grace with Him. But you know, this also reminds us of the covenantal community. The new covenantal community in Christ. This is the new covenant in my blood. This new covenant community. We have Christ as our head. He is our head. And all of us who trust in Jesus and who have given our lives to Jesus, we fall under Him. We are covered by Him in this covenant. There are no longer male or female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. There's no more of these societal, societal divisions. But we are one in Christ. In the covenant with Christ. So there can be no divisions. There can be no divisions. If we're coming to the Lord's table with division in our midst, then we are sinning against God. There can be no divisions. We are one in Christ. So we celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of the new covenant in Christ and the unity that we share in Christ. We celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ's selfless sacrifice in remembrance of the new covenant. And third, we celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of our mission. 
in remembrance of our mission. This is in that last verse there, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death. Every time that we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is a visual reminder, a visual testimony of what Christ has done for us, of His body that was given for us, of His blood poured out for us, of the new covenant in Him, of our participation in His body and blood as the new community in Christ. It's a testimony. It's a witness to what Christ has done, just like this wedding ring is a testimony, a constant testimony to my marriage to Mary Beth. The Lord's Supper is a constant testimony of what Christ has done. It's a testimony of the gospel. It's a visualization of the gospel. And you know what? As we partake of the Lord's Supper together, it should also be reminding us, as we're seeing this visual representative of the gospel, it should remind us to take the gospel outside these doors to the people of our community. For that is, after all, what Christ commissioned us to do. Go, make disciples of all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are commissioned to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we should be reminded that we are witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are to take that gospel, we're to take that good news out from these walls to our community, to the lost who are all around us, dying and going to hell. We should take this good news to them so that they might have life in Christ. So the Lord's Supper reminds us of our it reminds us of Christ's selfless sacrifice. It reminds us of the new covenant. It reminds us of our mission. And fourth and finally, it reminds us of our future hope. The Lord's Supper reminds us of our future hope. And this is in that last little phrase there. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Until he comes. There's an end date to this, isn't there? We are looking for that end date. We're looking for that day when Christ returns. When he comes back in all of his glory. And brings us to heaven. Brings us into his wonderful kingdom. Jesus put it like this in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 16. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. On that night when Christ established the Lord's Supper, he said, I'm not eating I'm not drinking any of this stuff. I'm not doing this again until it's fulfilled in my kingdom. Until I eat it with you in my kingdom. You see, there's that future hope. 
that Christ is returning. And He is going to take us into His kingdom. And there we're going to enter into His eternal rest. And we're going to have another great and wonderful feast. You see, this Lord's Supper is symptomatic of the future feast that is to come. Revelation chapter 19, 9, And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is His church. Those who have trusted in Christ and surrendered their lives to Christ, they have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, for they are His bride. And Christ says on that day, I'm going to throw a feast. And we're going to celebrate the full deliverance of my people, the full deliverance of my bride. I'm going to wash her as white as snow. I'm going to present her to my, my Father as the perfect bride. And we're going to celebrate. Praise God. You know, when we go to the restaurant, we have those little appetizers, right? That's not the meal. That's to get us ready for the meal. The Lord's Supper is like appetizers. It's getting us ready for the feast. And praise God, we are looking forward for the feast. When we celebrate it with Christ at His table. We celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of our future hope when Christ returns and we eat this wedding feast with Him in His kingdom. Oh, let us never forget. Let us never forget Christ's selfless sacrifice for us. Let us never forget Christ's new covenant. The covenant bought and sealed in His blood. And our covenant community. Let us never forget our mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our lost friends and neighbors. And let us never forget our future hope in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, in the next passage, which we'll look at in two weeks from now, Paul warns against partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. There are dangerous consequences for doing so. And one of those uh, unworthy manners, as Paul is addressing at Corinth, is disunity, division. Today, as we come to the Lord's table, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, I want you to examine your own heart, even now. Examine your own heart. Is there anything, is there unconfessed sin in your heart that you need to confess before God before you partake of the Lord's Supper? Is there division in your heart? Does your brother have something against you? Jesus said if you, you come to the altar and you, you remember that, that your brother has something against you, go to your brother be reconciled to your brother. Then come make the sacrifice. Maybe today you have been in conflict with a brother or sister in Christ and before you partake of the Lord's Supper, maybe you need to go to that brother and sister in Christ and say, I love you, I forgive you, I, I, I need your forgiveness, whatever. Be reunited with your brother and then partake of the Lord's table together in unity.
whatever it may be, in this time of invitation, take care of it. Make sure your heart's right before God. And then take part of the Lord's Supper. Participate in the Lord's Supper with joy, celebrating Christ. Today, perhaps, you're here and you've never trusted in Christ. You can't partake of the Lord's table because you've never entered into that covenant relationship with Him. Today is the day of salvation. If you'll only turn to Christ and give yourself for Him, He sacrificed Himself on your behalf that you might be forgiven. He shed His blood for you. All you need to do is receive the gift. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. And He'll save you. He will bring you into this new covenant with Him. Will you trust Him today? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Lord's Supper. We thank You for this constant reminder, this constant testimony of Christ's selfless sacrifice for us. We were lost in our sins, doomed for eternal judgment, but Christ gave Himself for us so that we might be saved in Him. Thank You, Lord God, for what You have done for us. Let us receive the elements of this supper with joy in our hearts, remembering Christ. And Lord, if there are any here in this place who've never trusted in You, Lord, I pray that You would turn their hearts to Christ today. Whether they're here or listening uh, on live stream, whatever it may be, Lord, if any don't know You, let them know Jesus. Let them turn to Christ and receive Him today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.